Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 84. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. We are deep in it now. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list, okay? It's, it's a very sad, it's a very sad moment. To me, this is a very sad moment. And we will win this. And we, as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. Not so fast, President Mayhem. You haven't won this election, at least not yet. No matter how much you lie about it, no matter how much you fight, no matter how much you sue, no matter how much you whine. But he's right about one thing. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. He is the fraud on the American public. He is an embarrassment to our country. And so are many other elements of this election so far. But it ain't over. It's far from over. And we can't play this song again for him for a final time, as much as I want to, just yet. Because this is not over. It's all very far from over. Even if a winner has been declared by the time you hear this, it's not over. As I've flagged for you for months on this show, we are in for a very, very long and bumpy road. Especially after a winner is declared. And especially if that winner is Joe Biden. Because President Mayhem is not going away with honor or integrity, or selflessness. He's going down guns blazing. And it's war. Even after the election is decided, it's a war for the soul of America. And wars are easy to start and very tough to end. And the war is on. We are deep in it. The war is raging now, and it's likely to get worse. President Mayhem wants to create and promote chaos. That's always his strategy. He's tried to blow up every institution that restrains him for the last four years. From the FBI, to the post office, to the media, to the Department of Defense. He even tries to blow up Fox News when they don't do what he wants. Like when they called Arizona this week for Biden which is John McCain's ultimate revenge. President Mayhem tries to blow up every institution that restrains him. Now, it's our elections. And our enemies love it. Our enemies are celebrating. Trump is a political suicide bomber. Always 
and now more than ever. His victory claim before all the votes were finally counted was just the start. That press conference and his tweets and Rudy Giuliani, this is the beginning of more deliberate calls to his base. Don't get comfortable about the lack of violence so far. The real risk comes when a winner is declared, especially if that winner is Joe Biden. I broke it down with terrorism expert Malcolm Nance a few weeks ago on this show in episode 81. It was one of our most downloaded ever because we laid out the future. The war for the soul of our nation will be long, costly, and hard, even after a winner is decided. It'll drain our resources, our energy, and the lives of our fellow Americans. It may take the lives of peaceful protesters, or members of the Proud Boys, or young National Guard soldiers deployed to keep the peace. The war has already taken the lives of over 234,000 of our fellow Americans. The war that the week before Veterans Day continues to hurt and kill veterans. As cases continue to skyrocket at the VA, COVID case count at the VA has increased nearly 90% in the last 30 days and jumped more than 127% since the start of September. And there was another big jump in VA coronavirus cases just today, now at nearly 7,000. The previous daily high before this week was about 6,500 in mid-July. So the war continues to take lives. And it's sure to take many more. Because the only thing that continues to spread across America faster than the coronavirus is the stupid. And the super spreader of the stupid and the virus is not letting up. President Mayhem is doubling down. The stupid is really raging now. And it's going to calcify even more in the days to come. The results of this election are not the end. They're a new chapter and a new phase in the most difficult and exhausting and frustrating and divisive time in our lifetime. The Civil War lasted only four years. Reconstruction lasted for decades and maybe still goes on today. So strap in for the long haul. We're all soldiers in the fight for the future of this country. And we need to be constantly recruiting for our side. But also, always, recognizing that war is not the answer. We need to promote peace in every opportunity we can. Add light, not heat. And the hotter it gets, the harder it gets. And it's what we need now more than ever. The future is here, but the future is also still unwritten. It can be a beautiful one or a dark one. From Tron to Ready Player One to Mad Max, we will determine what kind of future America will be. It could be like the Oasis, or it could be Planet of the Apes. It's on every single one of us to stay vigilant. And now, more than ever, stay frosty. Can't control your future, can't control your friends in a world without end. Stay frosty. As things keep getting hotter, as the media sensationalizes, as President Mayhem antagonizes, as troublemakers make trouble, as your neighbor or that guy at a stoplight or that gal at Walmart picks a fight or refuses to wear a mask, 
You must stay frosty. We must all stay frosty. Because to do otherwise is to endanger our future. To do otherwise is to give President Mayhem what he wants. And to do otherwise is to give fuel to our enemies. Because right now, have no doubt, even with a Joe Biden victory, our enemies are celebrating. But they're not just celebrating. They're attacking right now. We expect panic. That's what a Russian hacker involved in attacks on America is predicting. As the election results unfold all across our political battlefield, there's a massive invisible war happening nationwide that most Americans can't see. Hackers, cyber terrorists, and misinformation warriors from Russia and around the world are taking shots at your election machines, your electrical grid, your hospital, and your laptop. Right now, as the heat in America continues to rise, Our enemies are strategically starting fires and adding gasoline all across the web and all across this country. From your local election system to your Facebook page, to the hospital you'll depend on if you get COVID, to Donald Trump's iPhone, America's enemies are waging a complex and expansive and invisible war against you and everyone else in America as you hear my voice. And it won't stop when the election is called. It'll actually expand. The misinformation and cyber threats facing America have never been greater, and we've never been more fragile. America's enemies, external and internal, are gathering. The storms are gathering, and the storms are here. Riders on the storm Riders on the storm The storms are here, and they continue to surge. And another real storm, Tropical Storm Etta, threatens to hit Florida. Etta is the 28th named storm of the season. If Etta makes landfall on the U.S. coastline, it would break the record for the most named storms to make a U.S. landfall in a season at 12. And it would hit us when we're weakest. And our enemies would love it. There are storms coming from the outside, and there are storms coming from the inside. And now, there's breaking news that makes things even worse. As the votes are being counted nationwide, as the entire country sits on the edge of their seat, NBC is now reporting that Defense Secretary Esper has prepared a letter of resignation. And the mayhem in America may be about to hit a whole new level. Here we go. This was so predictable, and it was only a matter of time for Esper. NBC is reporting that defense officials, unnamed defense officials, say Esper's prepared his letter because he's one of the cabinet officials long expecting to be pushed out after the election. Yeah, no shit. And NBC tells us that as his tenure may be coming to an end, 
Esper is helping members of Congress draft legislation that will strip names of Confederate leaders from military bases in a move that could put him further at odds with President Trump. Now, of course, the names need to change. But NBC says that Esper has long been at odds with Trump. That's not really true. He's been carrying water for Trump for years, and he's been putting Trump's political interests ahead of our troops for years. NBC says that Esper is thinking about his legacy, and now he knows he's earned the nickname Yesper, an issue that we've covered on this show many times before. They call him Yesper behind his back because of his willingness to implement Trump's agenda without pushing back. One defense official says he cares about his legacy and prefers to be remembered as someone who was fired because he stood up to the president rather than being remembered as Yesper. The whole exclusive that breaks as an entire nation, an entire world, waits for the results of our election. Reads like it was leaked to NBC at the direction or with the approval of Esper. It looks like a blatant attempt to get ahead of the narrative and reshape his personal place in history while Trump is weakest and distracted. Sorry, too little, too late, Yesper. He should have resigned long ago. And now this news comes just in time to add more disruption to our Department of Defense when we need them the most. It's coming as we may be deploying National Guard troops nationwide right after the election is called. It's more disruption and uncertainty coming at exactly the wrong time. This is the mess that President Mayhem has created. And our enemies are celebrating. More than any other time in modern history, our enemies are celebrating. Putin, Kim Jong-un, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, they're all celebrating. Just sitting back and rooting for President Mayhem to destroy our country, weaken our national security, and divide our people. It's a mayhem that Trump creates and our enemies celebrate. And the storms keep on coming. The political storm, the national security storm, the COVID storm, the racism storm, the economic storm, they're all weakening us. They're all softening us up. And our enemies have been waiting, waiting to ride those storms into knocking the roof off the house of our country. So we're deep in it. But in this episode, we've got a fellow warrior for peace and for the soul of America, someone who can guide us through these storms. Another important, inspiring, soon-to-be-iconic guest that's shaping what America's been, what it is right now, and what it will be in the future. She's a guardian on the watchtower, from behind her laptop, in locations around the world, and inside our capital. And she understands the future is here. As enemy attackers attempt right now to infiltrate your social media and our election, as cyber threats swirl all around us, our guest is a guardian for us all. She's information warfare and Russian influence expert, Molly McHugh. McHugh's traveled the world studying, analyzing, and advising on the most urgent cybersecurity, misinformation, and technology-based threats. She's an adjunct professor, at Georgetown University's Edmund Walsh School of Foreign Service, where she teaches Russian hybrid warfare. She also serves on the board of the Stand Up Republic Foundation as an advisor on countering disinformation. She's the lead author of the Diffusing Disinfo blog and the creator of Great Power, 
a guide to asymmetric conflict like cyber, information, and economic warfare. Molly McHugh graduated from Stanford with a BA in Russian Language, History, and Culture and the London School of Economics with an MSc in Russian Post-Soviet Studies. She stood with many of our allies around the world, fighting the Russians and others. And she was awarded the Order of Honor by the President of Georgia for her service in defense of Georgian democracy. That music I just played is from Tron. And Molly is like a hero from Tron, or Ready Player One. The future is here. It's fascinating, and it's dangerous. And Molly McHugh is sounding the alarm that you need to answer. There's been a a huge focus from the side of Russian actors, uh, Russian cyber actors and and hackers, to sort of pre-infiltrate critical infrastructure, uh, government systems, critical systems. Um, and you've seen, uh, since 2007, when there was like this first big state backed, uh, cyber attack on Estonia by Russians, um, really seen them sort of grow and permanently entrench these capabilities. But, you know, looking at power grids at disrupting water systems, banking systems, uh, and healthcare systems have actually been like a key focus of what they're doing. Um, because of the panic potential of being able to disrupt those things, even for a minute. There's some scary shit happening in our country right now. And Molly is a thoughtful, sharp, experienced voice to break down how attacks and bad actors are impacting our elections right now. And how they might impact you and your family in the days to come. She's also got incredible stories from her journeys around the world, a special sword on her wall, and a fun favorite drink answer. It's a must-listen Angry Americans episode that'll prepare you for the precarious days ahead after the most turbulent election ever. These are some scary times. But burying your head in the sand, or in social media, or in pints of ice cream, or even in shots of whiskey, won't make them any less scary. We gotta face them. With courage, with honesty, with innovation, and as much as possible, with unity. I hope you voted. And if you did more than that, awesome. We needed it. But guess what? It ain't over. Every day now is a time to step up. And we'll need you again and again to do your part. Whether it's volunteering to respond to a hurricane or stepping up to help someone with COVID or just sharing this podcast and really thinking hard before you post something on social media. This is the time, the time of our lifetime. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention especially now, and especially now, it's not enough to be angry. You have to be active, and you have to turn that anger into positive impact, no matter who you voted for, and no matter what mayhem happens in the next few weeks and months. And that message has spread far and wide over the last year and a half since we launched this show. And it's more important than ever. And even a former president has a spin on it. I want us to feel angry. I I want a a, a righteous anger. The key is to be able to channel that anger in a way that's effective. Whenever I'm talking to young guys or young women uh, in any setting who express this frustration, what I say to them is, don't let the frustration turn into cynicism Mm. where then you just think nothing can change. Because the truth is things have changed. It's just that it's an ongoing battle. Real change is an ongoing battle, and we're all in it together. We will fight on together. 
with discipline and restraint and thoughtfulness, and as always, with the four eyes of integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And the information part is key right now. Information is power, and misinformation is toxic. It's deadly, and it's everywhere. It's the COVID-19 of our politics, our technology, and our culture. And the way to battle misinformation is with information. And we've got it for you in this episode. Welcome to a conversation about the war that's happening right now all around you. From your power grid, to your election district, to whatever internet-connected device you're listening on right now. We're a nation at war. And have no doubt, we are a nation under attack. From outside and from within. And welcome to a conversation that will prepare you for that war with a strategic overview and a no-shit intelligence report and the tools and tactics to help you navigate the battlefield and a battlefield that will only expand as the election is decided. Welcome to a conversation about how to defend yourself. Welcome to a conversation about how to defend those close to you and your fellow citizens. Welcome to a conversation about how to defend America. And welcome to a conversation about how to defend America's future. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 84. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the globe. Shit's getting real out there. And I am coming to you wearing a helmet, a very special helmet. I'm going to take it off. I'm taking off the helmet now. Um, But we have an important guest who can get us through these perilous times as we all await uh, the results of the election. By the time this drops, we may have more. I want to break it down with somebody that I think is a person of the moment, an important leader, somebody I really admire and look to for guidance and information that I think you can right now as well. The great and powerful Molly McHugh joins us. <laughs> Woo! I feel like I should have the Wizard of Oz head like flashing in front of me, but alas, not. You should. You sh- if anybody did. So I started the interview. I don't know if people could even hear me. I started the interview with a Halo Master Chief helmet on. That was my Halloween costume. Um, Amazing. It's also, I think we all are kind of wearing a helmet right now to wait and see what happens. We're all in this like dystopian future. Uh, and, and you are a person who navigates this wild and weird uh, new frontier, and especially the technology frontier. So I thought this would be an appropriate way to start our, our conversation. I hope you don't mind. It's awesome. Have you seen, uh, have you gotten any of the social media ads yet for like the weird, like personal breathing system helmet that instead of wearing this mask, that's not really doing anything, you can wear like a neoprene head with a face shield built in and like air filters on the side. And I'm just like, you know, that's not the stupidest thing, but it looks so crazy. (laughs) But a a Halo Master Chief helmet looks pretty cool. But that's uh, the thing is if they looked more like a motorcycle helmet, we'd all be like, yeah, I'm wearing that. Like, I'm not getting COVID now. But unless, you know, it's these like very spacey, like, no. no well, like well I, I, I'm so glad you're with us right now. As we <laughs> record this, 
We're recording this uh, late morning East Coast on Thursday. It'll drop Thursday night. Uh, election results continue to pour in. Uh, we're still waiting on a couple key states. A, a winner has not been declared. Um, but this conversation will endure no matter who is announced as the winner and no matter how that goes. Um, I, I look at this conversation a lot like the one I had with Malcolm Nance a couple of weeks ago, where I want to be predictive. I want to go beneath the hood, show people what they're not seeing, and then also maybe give them some guidance going forward. So I'm going to get into that. I'm going to talk about Russian attacks. I'm going to talk about cyber warfare. I'm going to talk about what's happening all around us right now. But first, uh, Molly McHugh, you're one of the more interesting people uh, that I know from the Twitter sphere. Um, I don't think we've ever met in person. Have we? No, no I don't think so. We're like virtual friends. And we, probably, we probably like walked past each other in a congressional hallway when you were still lobbying for veterans. But, um, yeah. uh, but I, don't, I don't think we've ever actually met, no. We have a lot of friends in common. I know General Hurtling, who's joined us on this show, is, is a friend of yours. Uh, but let me start out by asking you, uh, Molly McHugh, where are you? And because you were one person, I didn't know where you were going to be. You could, might be in, 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 in Russia. You might be in Georgia. You might be somewhere in undisclosed location. And how are you? How have you been handling this pandemic, you and, and the people close to you? I'm in uh, Washington, D.C., and I guess technically home. But usually this is where my cats live, and I come to visit them every now and then. Uh, I'm normally out, uh, as as you point to, sort of uh, roaming around the edges of Russia and the Baltics and, and sort of parts there around. But uh, uh, I haven't been anywhere in a real damn long time. And I think this is actually the longest by far that I haven't been on an airplane since high school. And it's just starting to get very like, where am I going? I need to get out of here. I need to get out of this place now. But uh, it, it's just weird because, you know, I love my country very much, but the work that I do... America is really far from everything and you need to be out there like talking to the people that are doing uh, the things who are on the front lines, who see things much more clearly in, in many respects. Uh, and right now everybody's just sort of looking over at us like, and you're like, I know, I know, I'm sorry, we'll get it right. And they're like, for people listening, okay. what you're doing is shaking your head. You're shaking your <laughs> just, head, right? They're just, just this like sad, like, we don't know what happened to you, but don't bring your COVID cooties over here, you know, head shake. <laughs> And it's, um, it's really weird. Like this whole, this whole time is really weird. And it's just, there's so much, there's so much just rapidly shifting everywhere in the world that we're not paying any attention to. Cause we're like, what County in Pennsylvania hasn't right. been recounted yet. Um, uh, but there's just a lot going on. So I'm doing my best to keep track. I, you know, I'm physically fine. Obviously one of my nutty neighbors has, you know, contracted COVID and spread it to zillions of people. So we're like, I completely ostracizing him, but, um, uh, I'm fine. My family is fine. My adorable niece and nephew who I cherish more than anything are fine and struggling in this world of being a young kid trying to figure out how to do school through screens and masks and everything else. But, um, and my dad is out in Idaho in the mountains, like trying not to feel super isolated and alone. Uh, but I think, you know, we're all doing okay. It's just been, it's been a weird year and no weirder for us than anybody else. You know, we're fortunate to be able to sort of power through and sit in our little dark corners and write things and whatever else. But, um, but yeah, it's weird. I'm really sick of DC, tired of being in DC, really tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't blame you. I, I like my, one of my greatest fears 
other than being like locked in in like a rubber room forever or a, a cell of some kind, right? That's one of my greatest fears. But my other one would be being trapped in Washington, D.C., which is not dissimilar. But I want to ask you, you do have a very good cool background. I yeah. ask everybody about their background, where they are. If folks are, 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 are listening and want to watch, you can go to angryamericans.us, go to our Facebook page. But tell me about what looks like a sword behind you uh, over alcoholic beverages of some kind. <laughs> yeah, there's a pile of like whatever liquor bottles people have left here uh, that I don't have room for in, in the whiskey cabinet, which is right behind me. Um, I have a, I have a, a, a like authentic Japanese sword that was a gift for my father uh, when I was in high school, sort of as a joke, but sort of not. And over the years, every time he comes, he'll like get it off the wall and pull it out and make sure I'm keeping it sharp. And he's like, well, you never know when the zombies are going to come. And he like really believes that to some respect. He's, he's really, he's always been a prepper. Like he really embraced the Idaho mentality when we moved there of prepping for, for Red Dawn basically, but you have to have your hand-to-hand weapons, your guns, everything else. Um, but I love that sword and it sort of traveled around with me. Like I think it was at college with me. I didn't take it to the UK when I was in grad school, obviously, but it's been with me ever since. And, um, I can do basics with it. I'm not necessarily a sword wizard, but, uh, but I'm glad that I have it. And every time my niece and nephew come over, it's of course the first thing they do is like grab it and pull it out. You're like, no, it's real. You know? <laughs> so that's me. So that, that, that's me. Uh, I'm, I'm like your niece and nephew. Uh, but I well, also, who isn't? yeah. Uh, well, I, I want to ask you also, so it sits over uh, some alcoholic beverages. You've been all over the world. You must have uh, uh, experienced some incredible libations and food all around the world in your in your uh, incredible travels. But Molly McHugh, what is your favorite drink of choice? My go-to, I'm an Irish whiskey drinker, is really Jameson because you can find Jameson anywhere. Anywhere in the world you go, there's Jameson. It might be like a dusty bottle sort of tucked in the back underneath something, but they have it. Uh, it's the same with Guinness. Like when I was working in, in Africa, Guinness, like, I mean, the Irish are really smart. They, like, colonized the, the port towns of Africa with Guinness breweries very early. So no matter where you go, there's, like, the African version of Guinness Extra Stout, which is, like, this kind of sweet, molasses-y, delicious, made-to-be-drunk, warm beer. Um, but between Guinness and Jameson, you can go anywhere, and, like, your drink will be there waiting for you. So <laughs> those are the things I, I drink. <laughs> that's that's amazing. I want to I wanna ask you uh, about those travels and your perspective on everything that's happening. But I do, this is Angry Americans. And I ask everybody uh, a couple of key questions, uh, whether it was, you know, Ambassador Susan Rice or, or Sarah Jessica Parker or our friend Mark Hurtling. And so I'll, I'll ask you now, Molly McHugh, when you were growing up, what was your first car? My first car was, or the car that I inherited was this 1981 Subaru station wagon, like the old hatchback, you know, the seats fold down. I think most of our childhood, the seats were folded down because there were not seatbelt laws in Idaho and it was way more fun to be like running around in the back with your sister than it was to be sitting in a seat. Um, but we had this, this it was the, the car we bought when my family moved to Idaho when I was very young. I was like two years old when we moved out there. And um, that was the car that sort of took us across the Mountain West for all of our road trips and all of our childhood. And then when we moved back east, uh, sort of right before high school, my mom and my sister and I just spent the entire summer kind of driving around the country in this station wagon with like a dog, two gerbils in a cage, you know, like all of our shit just like filed inside of it and strapped to the roof. 
and occasionally like flying out the side of the suitcase, you know, National Lampoon style as we tore down the highways. But this was really pre-internet, right? So you had like the triptychs from AAA and like a big road atlas and uh, you'd be like, I don't know, let's stop at this place. And you'd wake up next to the Hoover Dam and you had no idea how you got there. Um, But it was such a great summer and that car was just like the most beloved thing of me and my sister. We loved that car. Uh, and so it was the car that she first drove and that I then inherited and, uh, it made it all the way through, I think essentially when I finished grad school and then it was just the road salt in Ohio, like gutted it out from the inside. And finally it was, it was recycled, but all of us cried a lot. (laughs) I loved that car. I wrote my college essay, my college admissions essay on that car. Uh, About that car or like while leaning on the car? (laughs) (laughs) No, about the car and like what the car was for us, because uh, it had been this like, you know, the the vehicle that carried us from one point to another in our lives for so long. But uh, I, I love that car. I still do. <laughs> Molly, did, did the car have a name and what color was it? Uh, we just called it Subi because we were little kids when we got to the Subaru. Um, it was like this pale, it was blue, but it was like a pale blue, like a, a mountain west carrying through the mountain snow blue. Um, but it was, you know, a 1980 car. So power, nothing, right? Like, you know, when you're steering, of course, stick shift, you know, it was like the massive, like, I got it. Don't worry. It's in gear. You could never really tell if it was in reverse until you pressed down on the pedals. Um, and, uh, it had only had one, the one side mirror because two weren't mandated by law yet. Um, I'd love that car. It got infinity gas miles per gallon. Um, I think the entire time I was in high school, I only filled it up once. Like, it, was just, it was an amazing car. I loved I that love car. It. I love it. Uh, and it had those old vinyl seats. So in the summer you would sit down and it was like, oh! but um, that, well, that's that how car. we, that's how we all feel right now. Oh, right? We all, <laughs> yeah, we're all sitting on the hot seats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we need, we need guidance. Uh, and <laughs> if this, if this episode is going to be like us rolling in, across the world in that Subaru with you guiding us with your extensive education and experience and that samurai sword, you know, in, the sword. in front, um, you are, you know, one of the most, uh, uh, um, uh, trusted experts on, uh, on, on cyber attacks, on information warfare, on the Russians in particular. Um, anybody who, who, who's knowledgeable in the space follows you on Twitter. You're one of my favorite people to follow there. Um, so I want to, I want to ask you, you know, what's happening around us. But even when we started this conversation, we were kind of joking about Zoom and you said, uh, you, how you use Zoom. So let's talk about Zoom <laughs> as, as one vulnerability because uh, I want to give people some information about what's happening at the government level, but also what they can do at a personal level. But talk to us about Zoom. Well, I mean, I personally, I know that we've all embraced Zoom since March because we have no real options when it comes to living through our screens. Uh, I delete it every time I finish using it. Um, I don't know what it's doing exactly, but I think it is definitely feeding into a giant, vast Chinese facial recognition software somewhere. And it just doesn't need to listen to me when I'm not using it. So, um, you know, it, it works well. It performs a function. I wouldn't have uh, classified or secret conversations on it. But if they want to listen to me talk about my Subaru, all game. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, I think there's a lot happening with sort of apps and technology that I sort of got thrown into the deep end of the pool on in various ways, sort of watching Russian stuff. 
Um, but I think there's good reason to be distrustful of, of apps and, and programs of, of certain national origins that we just need to be more aware of, but really we're not. I, I'm so grateful you, you, you we're going there because let's, let's, let's zoom out, right? Everybody's talking about swing states right now. They're, they're, they're looking at the ballots being counted and, and reporting happening. Um, let's take a step back. Uh, I've said many times the Russians didn't meddle in our elections four years ago. They attacked them. And, and unless I'm wrong, they're probably at least trying to attack them right now while we record this conversation. Maybe other uh, enemies of, of our country, other bad actors, it could even be domestic terrorists, uh, are, are, are attacking uh, critical uh, technology infrastructures, critical elements of our society to try to sow discord, create chaos. And I use all the time the hashtag, our enemies are celebrating. But Molly, from where, from where you sit, everybody's glued to cable television. While that's happening, what's happening all around us right now? Well, I, I think you're right that there's this sort of matrix of threat actors that are constantly looking for opportunities. Um, and the U.S. is just a really big target. You know, we're the, the top of the hill. Everybody's looking to knock you down, whatever, however you want to phrase it. But um, I think that there's been so much politicization of the topic of Russia and what the Kremlin is doing and what their capabilities are and what happened in 2016 and what's happening now. Um, that gets really frustrating because I think it's just most of the time it's so devoid of context and it has just become this political talking point. But, um, and now, especially because the, the Trump administration and Republicans in general are really trying to do this. No, but China, China, like look over at China, China and Iran, but China, you know, and it's like, uh, yes, China, but really Russia. And it's just the way that they work has been to be uh, as a disruptor because, you know, it's a, it's a huge country territorially and in terms of its military capabilities, but it has a very small economy um, and really has to be asymmetric in how it applies uh, sort of its view of power and its ability to, to move and shape systems. And that's where it's developed this new range of capabilities. I mean, yes, it's things they've done forever, but um, it's sort of updated, more technological uh, toolkit of political warfare to, to shape and influence and move the systems around them in ways that are beneficial to their goals. And so I think, you know, there's been so much uh, attempt to dismiss all of this as like something that's not real or it's like Facebook ads. And it's so much more sophisticated than that. And it's really just sort of the tip of the spear that's like right through the heart of the West. Um, and the Chinese are happy to like float through the space that they make behind them in a much more strategic and sophisticated and nuanced way. But everybody learns from what, from what Russia is doing, including domestic actors who work in the information domain who are extremely disruptive and manipulative and coercive as well. So it's just like, yes, there's many other things than Russia, but we have to learn from that lesson. And there's so much willingness to just turn away from it and pretend like it didn't happen mm. that I feel like we just keep going, you know, around and around in these cycles of, uh, of discussion and not learning the right lessons. So Molly, the FBI and NCIA issued a warning recently, right? I think in the last week or two uh, about what's happening and specifically about an attack on our hospital systems. Can you, can you break that down for us and explain what that warning uh, covered and, and what they, what's happening? Sure. Absolutely. You know, there's, I think sometimes we really conflate cyber threats with information threats and these are, you know, yes, they're both electrons, but um, very separate things. 
But in the cyber domain, I do think since 2016, um, there's been a tremendous advancement of U.S. capabilities. They've, they've all sort of been consolidated under Cybercom, and General Nakasone has been like so aggressive in smart, strategic ways about putting those capabilities under one roof and sort of targeting them in the right way. Um, so I think in the cyber domain, there's been much better advancement about what we, the United States, are doing to defend our systems. But actors like Russia uh, have, you know, have very heavily focused on hackers as a key strategic capability because it is so asymmetric. You know, if you have five smart guys, you can do a ton of great things, uh, great things in that domain and, um, it, and not need much more than that. And so, so they've really developed the sort of hacker culture that uh, it has a lot of mystique around it. Um, you know, Russian hackers are the best hackers. They're, you know, rule breaking and sophisticated and can do anything. It's like magic wizards. Um, and, uh, but they've sort of totally integrated those capabilities into Russian intelligence. And yes, some of them are still independent, but independent, you know, if it's, if it's a unit of Russians operating out of Russia, they're not independent from anything. Um, so there's been a, but there's been a, a huge focus from the side of Russian actors, uh, Russian cyber actors and, and hackers to sort of pre-infiltrate uh, critical infrastructure, uh, government systems, critical systems. Um, and you've seen uh, since 2007, when there was like this first big state-backed uh, cyber attack on Estonia by Russians, um, really seen them sort of grow and permanently entrench these capabilities. But, you know, looking at power grids, at disrupting water systems, banking systems uh, and healthcare systems have actually been like a key focus of what they're doing um, because of the panic potential of being able to disrupt those things, even for a minute. Um, and uh, we don't, I mean, we talk more about the power grids and the sort of critical infrastructure than we do about things like banking or healthcare. But um, a, a couple of years ago, there was a big malware attack uh, developed by the Russians, primarily to target Ukraine, but kind of spilled over into everywhere else because it's what malware does. Mm. Um, and one of the targets ended up being a, a hospital system in the United States. Um, and it sort of shut down completely the computer systems and electronic records of this hospital. And, you know, doctors and nurses are not dumb. They can go back to paper, which they were not using too long ago, uh, to run lab results around pretty efficiently. But um, it does delay the delivery of care and obviously is very disruptive uh, within uh, a system. And so there was this warning that came out that, um, that this one group of Russian hackers that calls themselves Wizard Spider, because hackers are so mature, uh, was targeting U.S. healthcare systems and sort of building in these malware attacks that could be activated to bring down systems. Um, it seems like there were only a few that actually kind of worked before the warning went out and they kind of patched the hole that needed to be patched. Um, but it's just a sign that there are these efforts to sort of constantly build in these capabilities um, to disrupt systems when they want them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, uh, it's just something we need to pay more attention to writ large because those capabilities exist. And when this stuff happens, the, the goal of them is typically not, you know, to kill zillions of people, it's panic. And we, it, until we're aware of what these things are supposed to do, the panic is very real. I think that that's so important for you to focus on. I mean, a lot of folks listening may not even know we have a cyber command. Right, <laughs> close to the military know that this has been a priority for the Joint Chiefs for every defense report. They've been underscoring uh, the importance of cyber, uh, of all things cyber, 
for really decades now, if you've been watching, it's kind of like climate change. If you pay attention to what the Department of Defense is saying, they're underscoring the incredible importance of this and they're dedicating resources to it. When you describe these hacker units uh, that are glorified, that are independent, that are asymmetrical, they're, they're kind of like the, the technology evolution of Al-Qaeda cells. Right. Like yeah. the Russians are happy to have them all over the place popping up in mom's basement or in some remote outpost. As long as they're hitting the enemy, they're happy. And the enemy is, is us in their view. Right. So we've got some of these more symmetrical attacks by China and others. And then you've got these multitude of bad actors across the landscape um, that are trying to sow uh, discord, stress, anxiety, chaos during a pandemic. Right. So the, the worst case scenario is, OK, this small group of Russian, uh, you know, renegade hackers takes down a hospital in St. Louis. Right. Yeah. Or in, in Tulsa during the pandemic. And, you know, chaos. Right. They can't find your records. They don't know who got shots. They don't know who's been covid tested. Right. And all that uh, is something our enemies celebrate. But I'm glad you got to one thing that I have to ask you to talk about. Wizard spider. We can't talk about. This, this technology warfare landscape without recognizing their, you know, even the general who runs Cyber Command is, is called, is, is named what? Nakasone. Like General Nakasone sounds like a character from a movie, right? Totally. And now we've got Wizard Spider. Tell us, actually, in seriousness, tell us what Wizard Spider is and, and what, it, what does it represent on the broader landscape? So, you know, it's an interesting question because um, it, since 2016, we've talked a lot about GRU hacker units. So these are official uh, Russian military intelligence hackers uh, that sort of act as collective units that have a number within the Russian military intelligence structure. Um, but Russia has really played up, uh, in particular since the invasion of Georgia in 2008, this notion of the patriotic hacker, as they call it. So this idea that, like, independent Russian hackers are so mobilized by their patriotic duties to help the Kremlin that they will like take on these activities to like bring down the Georgian government's computer system during the war and stuff like that. And I really just want to point out that the patriotic hacker narrative, and I'm sorry to all the journalists who have written about this as if it is real, it's just bullshit. Like it, these units are, I mean, these groups are, they may be independent and yes, they're doing other things, but if the FSB or the GRU or someone from the Kremlin shows up and is like, hey, you're going to do this or I'm going to crush your grandmother, the answer is, okay, I'm going to do the thing. So it's, they're really not independent. There are plenty of, even within the GRU units, and it's something that's so fascinating, is like there is this sort of embrace of entrepreneurship and innovation and independence. And even within the, the operations that are run by these intelligence units, um, you know, sort of from within the, the military structures, there's really a focus on like raising money from them, like self-funding additional operations by mining cryptocurrencies or having ads running on the side of your fake websites or whatever it is. But there's like a ton of effort to raise money off of these operations. And I think in that space in particular, these weird independent quote unquote hacker units have been really aggressive and that's where the malware and ransomware attacks play a key role, but they raise money to run additional operations. And it's just sort of a fascinating model of intelligence work if you think about it. But um, so this unit or, or this group that calls itself wizard spider, and there's like subgroups that have other spider grim spider and you know, whatever the hell else um, hacker groups kind of make up these cute little names for themselves, or they are occasionally applied to them by the different uh, groups that analyze different cyber threats. So I think there's like three other names for Wizard Spider, but this is the one that's sort of stuck. But it's the group that um, has been closely linked to a series of ransomware attacks 
um, that have been very successful in building kind of a global network of uh, linked integrated malware infected computers that can be used to do other things. And um, uh, there's been a lot of focus on it, uh, on this particular network, um, which is the TrickBot botnet. Um, I have to stop the- you there. <laughs> I, I, that was my, ne- my, my next question. My next question was, please explain to us what the TrickBot botnet is. <laughs> I, I really wish I could explain it in better terms. But as a non-cyber person, what I would say is, uh, it, you know, you take this malware, TrickBot malware, um, and malware, like for, for the for the layman, is is it is is an analogy right now for the sake of maybe a timely one that malware is like is, is the coronavirus, right? And yeah, like, absolutely, and, it's, and it's they, a we want they want to spread the coronavirus in as many places as they can. Malware is right the virus, right, or or the mechanism exactly. for, for spreading the virus. Exactly. So it targets uh, a specific vulnerability in systems, a security patch you haven't applied, or a weakness in code. Um, to, to sort of get inside a system and leaves a little bit of code that then does things. In some cases, uh, it's just to sort of provide that access. In some cases, it collects data and sends it to someone else. In some cases, it's like when you're not using your computer, your computer is mining Bitcoin for someone or a different cryptocurrency. Um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, then accessing the networks that you're on to look for other things. There's a lot of things that, that malware can do, but it's, it's, the, it's the sort of malicious code that in, infiltrates your system um, to do other things. And a specific sort of subcategory of that that can piggyback on the malware is what's called ransomware. So this is the kind of you know, nightmarish scenario of uh, a piece of code that kind of gets in, it encrypts everything on your computer and locks you out of your own stuff, and then you have to pay a ransom um, to get uh, access back to your stuff. And um, in general, every sort of US security thing is like, don't pay the ransom, just fucking throw that shit out and send it to the Nigerian recycling pile um, and buy a new one and suffer the consequences of not having a cloud backup. But um, it, originally, these things targeted sort of individual computers, right? So it was like a $300 ransom or something because it was like petty hackers that were doing this stuff. And it, in the last few years, groups like Wizard Spider have really escalated it toward targeting local governments, law enforcement, which law enforcement that's been targeted doesn't like to talk about, um, uh, government contractors, sort of bigger targets where there's much more of an incentive to pay large ransoms, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get access back to their data and their systems. Um, and where there's then these, you know, sort of cascading questions of vulnerability, like what did they get when they hacked this thing? You know, what do they know now that they didn't know before? Um, so it's just sort of a, a matrix of vulnerabilities. And this huge botnet built by the specific kind of malware, which is more than a million computers worldwide, um, has been sitting out there doing these things since like 2016. And um, at the beginning of October, uh, Cybercom uh, sort of finally pulled the trigger to disrupt uh, this botnet and like sort of infected the, the 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 node computers of the outward computers with a thing that sort of spread spread the the anti malware code outward uh, to sort of take it apart for a bit and they can rebuild it but it takes time to do that so it's to sort of cripple this capacity during the month of our election and sort of parallel to that there was an effort by Microsoft to um, gain access to servers through court and through lawsuits and court uh, orders um, to sort of shut off the servers that were 
critical to this as well. So it was kind of a really integrated, interesting effort between cybercom and private industry and other things um, to take down this botnet because they really believed that this hacker group and this malware and the vulnerabilities it created were somehow going to be linked to disruptions relating to the time of our election, or at least that they had been prepared to do these things um, just in case. So that's our landscape. (laughs) (laughs) That's not pretty. (laughs) If if you're driving while you're listening to this, maybe you just pulled over to delete Zoom and everything else off (laughs) off your phone. Um, But this is why we wanted to have this conversation because people, I, I think for the most part, are unaware that there's basically an invisible war happening all around them. And they are a yeah. player on this battlefield. They, you know, they, they want to hit you know, our, our hospitals. They want to hit our infrastructures. They want to hit our local election. And they, and they might want to you know, grab all of your banking info and your codes as well, right? So this is the landscape around us. In that landscape, understanding that we are under attack constantly, um, Molly, uh, can you frame up where we are right now? Like what has, what has Trump done wrong or right and what does our national leadership need to do like right now? And, and what do they need to do in the next couple of months? Let's assume Biden gets elected uh, and, and, and he calls you up and says, hey, what do we need to do to stop this? Uh, what, what, can you frame that up for us, please? Sure. You know, I think um, the biggest increase in vulnerability under President Trump, um, and, and there is a lot happening that has nothing to do with him, essentially, that has been positive, right? I mean, our army and armed forces has been forward building capacity in Europe to deal with Russian threats and Russian aggressions in the military domain with our allies and partners in a really smart, small, but a smart, sophisticated way. Like there's a lot going on around the world to deal with the stuff that we don't really talk about primarily. So the white house doesn't pay attention to it and tell them to stop. Um, But so there has been a lot going on that has been positive, but all of that is sort of inconsequential to the white house. And the constant disruptive effect of this president who attacks our allies, attacks our alliances, you know, embraces dictators and autocrats in sort of gross and disgusting ways, makes everything this sort of series of transnational interactions um, that are really just material and that there's always a benefit to sort of him or his image and his family um, and not really about national security. Um, but that are just, it's, it's really horrible to watch. And I think there's so many people that will sit there and say, oh, well, he's innovative and he's breaking the rules and you just don't like it because he's Donald Trump. And um, no, and it's just the thing that the United States has always done. And like, look, we make mistakes, obviously, as a nation. There's bad things in our history that we have somewhat owned or never owned or talked about or not talked about in terms of what we have done abroad um, that... Uh, you know, are, are just a part of, of what we are and sort of our clumsy efforts to do sometimes some of the things that we really believe in in the world. But the United States has always been this umbrella for aspiring democracies, for countries that want to be a part of our alliances, that want to contribute to the international system that keeps us safe, that makes us more prosperous. And yes, we fumble and we stumble and we sometimes look bad, but we have been this umbrella protecting people that want to move that direction. And Donald Trump isn't that, and he doesn't believe in that, and he's very open that he doesn't believe in that. And instead, he's sort of formed these very tactical alliances, um, but supports disruptive far-right populist parties and leaders um, in Europe, in Latin America, in the Middle East, um, but really sort of makes these relationships totally about these personal ties 
um, in ways that are um, just so disruptive and kind of condemn entire categories of people to be thrown into the volcano instead of expanding rights and freedoms um, around the world, which is what we used to stand for. And I think we in the United States sort of minimize this when we talk about it because it seems like a stupid thing to talk about when we have all these other things happening at home that we need to be worried about. Um, But for the people in the world that have relied on us to help them in their transitions, um, you know, the Baltic states where I spend a lot of time uh, really relied on American support during Soviet occupation after they became independent um, to build their defense, to not be reinvaded by Russia. You know, all of these things are just so critical to what they've become. Um, and to see what's happening here now is like this horrible, nightmarish scenario for all of them. Because without us, uh, and it's not, this is not like, American exceptionalism in a, in a silly cartoon way without us, there is no one in that position of being the umbrella of the free world um, in the same way. And there's no one who's going to fill that spot. It's clearly not the EU. It's clearly not Germany. There's nobody else who can kind of sit in that role and be the superpower that backs the Alliance of countries that wants to stand for individual rights and freedoms and human rights um, and representative government. Um, And without that in this weird time period of disruptive things, climate change, uh, disruptive technology, a total evolution in how economies and labor and work and money are going to work over the next decades and century. Um, If we are not there sitting in that chair defending these things, they will not survive. It will be these systems of sort of hierarchical delineations and who gets to be a citizen will be decided by some freaking algorithm somewhere. And um, it's really dystopian, but it's the truth. <laughs> like you, we just need to look at it more closely and understand that we as Americans, who are so reluctant to be engaged in the world throughout our entire history, we're just sullen and moody about it. We just want to sit at home with our distant oceans keeping things at bay and focus on ourselves, but that never works out very well. And we just mm-hmm. need to embrace the fact that we have this role to play that's so critical. So I didn't really answer the rest of your No, question. you did. You did. You basically, <laughs> you basically you laid it out and you basically said Biden should do the opposite of what Trump's doing, which makes, yeah. which makes sense, right? I, I mean, it, it's, it's it, the, well, the tectonic shift at, at the, in, the, in the strategic positioning of our country yeah. is, is the most important thing, right? Like Absolutely. Trump's, and look the- Trump's hanging our buddies out to dry. So Georgia, you know, has no assurance that we're going we're gonna to help them. And when they see Trump cozying up to Putin, you know, they, they, they're, they're rightfully worried that they're going to be hung out to dry, right? And, and so- look, the, the message Trump has sent to Europe throughout this entire administration, uh, to NATO, to European countries who aren't in NATO and beyond, has been, make your own deal with Putin because we're not going to fucking be there. And they embrace that. And in many cases, they're super nervous about it. But, um, you know, some of them are much more forward leaning about it. But if the answer is you need to make a deal with Putin or you're going to get screwed, they're going to figure out how to make a deal with Putin. But you've seen this shift everywhere in the world. You know, now when there's shit in the Middle East happening, nobody's like picking up the phone or the WhatsApp to Jared Kushner. You know, they go to Moscow. They're like, they fly to Moscow to get these problems solved. And we've just uh, already during the Obama administration, there was a shift in a lot of these things. And again, we don't talk about it because like, we're not allowed to criticize Obama because Trump is so awful. 
But the Obama administration was not a great time period for U.S. foreign policy either. And Trump coming into that space afterward was a fucking disaster. And he has just made all of these things so much worse and all of these trends of alienating allies and creating fractures and insecurities in our alliances and the things that protect us um, has accelerated to such a degree that we just don't pay attention to. Now, the good news is part of Joe Biden being very old school is that he gets all of this, right? And like, he 100% understands uh, the value of American leadership, how we can play a constructive, positive role in the world without having to pour money into, you know, military campaigns everywhere. He gets all of this. And I think when he was in the Senate, um, you know, spent a lot of his time focused on the Foreign Relations Committee and on, on things abroad um, in helpful and bipartisan and extremely cooperative ways with our allies and others. Yeah. So he knows this, you hear him talk about it, but there's really this pressure from below um, that is right and left, right? You have this, the isolationist uh, mindset under President Trump, which is we have absolutely no fucking duty to do anything in the world. Like we're going to sit at home and worry about our 401ks. And then you have the, the more left-wing progressive kind of Bernie-ish and, and beyond wing of the party view that um, we have no right to do anything in the world because we're so broken and fucked up ourselves. And the sort of merger of these things, no duty to do this, no right to do this uh, is becoming very powerful. And you do have this left-right isolationist mindset that's really creating a lot of pressure from below. And it's already been pushing on Biden and his team to sort of, you know, draw down military spending, draw down our positions overseas, really focus at home. Um, and that's going to be a, a constant battle, presuming there's a Biden administration. It will be a constant battle to sort of make this case that we have a, a duty and a right to do these things, but that we need to be engaged to shape the outcome of these tremendously disruptive times that are coming. That was so important. All of it. That, that was so important. That, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have Making me blush. No, I wanted to have you on, <laughs> on my show so that we could talk micro, you know, about like wizard spider and, and, and the botnet bot thing, and, and also understand, you know, the strategic framework and, you know, you're, you're pragmatic. You are, uh, I, I would argue, you know, a centrist, right? Like, like, uh, Very much so. so many people that, that listen to this show and me and others that are especially pragmatic about national security and foreign policy. And we feel underrepresented in this discussion right now. And you see Biden being pulled to the left. Um, you've seen Trump pulled way off the table to the right. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the moderate, thoughtful, pragmatic, uh, especially foreign policy and military leaders uh, feel like we've been left out. So there's a hope that with the Biden administration that will be brought back in the fold with a guy who also has experience and and trust around the world. People know Joe Biden. His time in foreign policy is so extensive. You know, he's known around the world as a person that you can work with. And that's good for America, in my view. But you also you know, express a righteous anger. This show is about that too, about turning that anger into positive impact. You do that every day, but I want to ask you, you know, the straight up question we ask all our guests, Molly McHugh, what makes you angry? That's what makes me angry. It's this sullen teenage grumpiness of Americans about having to play a role in the world. And like, look, there's plenty of things to be angry about. I have a long list. I could just go on and on. But in terms of the thing that motivates me in my adult professional life, it, this is the thing that makes me angry, is the number of times you have to have this conversation with smart, intelligent, educated, or completely removed from any of the you know, Washington policy discussions that are normally happening world, the number of times you have to have discussions with people about why this matters. And I think you know, a, a really 
critical worrying point for me before the 2016 election. Um, and look, a lot of this is like building on this erosion of trust and image that has happened since the Iraq war. And there's plenty of things to get into there that we can dig into forever. But um, underneath, if you sort of remove the Iraq war from the discussion, there were actually a lot of things the Bush administration did in foreign policy and global engagement that were so smart and tactically strategic in building these relationships. And like one of the number one things was just he answered the phone if people called, right? Like if you were the president of Liberia and you needed something, you could call the White House and get through that day and be like, look, I really need this thing. And he'd be like, we can do that thing. No problem. And like, we can do this tiny $3 million thing to save your country from collapse. No problem. You know, but he had this sort of very personal engagement with countries that believed in the right stuff um, that I think uh, was really missing during the Obama administration, which had a, like a greater distance of personal relationships between the president and others. Um, and we can really rebuild some of that, I think. <laughs> but um, uh, we haven't dealt with this post-Iraq war malaise that has polluted everything about how we think about the world and our role in it. And we just need to stop. Like, we just need to snap out of this crap. Like, yes, the Iraq war, so many things to say there. But um, the fundamental idea that some of us that supported the Iraq war when it was happening uh, believed in, which was Iraqis deserved better and they deserved not to have this horrible, murderous, torturous dictator in charge of them and their country um, was still right. And I think part of the anti-Iraq war backlash has been this bigoted, terrible baseline wisdom that has emerged in the United States of, oh, well, you know, these Arabs just like aren't ready for democracy. And there's whole countries and parts of the world that like can't have what we have. And it's best if we stop trying to expand these things and just retreat to our current NATO unit and like sit at home and, you know, smoke a pipe or whatever. But this is not correct. And so fundamentally wrong, this idea that people don't want what we have. People do want what we have. And as much as you want to say about what Bush screwed up, and there's a long list and it can go on and on, his second inaugural address, which was about the fact that people want freedom, was not wrong. And you had the Arab Spring and nobody showed up for it. And those people are all fucking in prison or dead. And we just let these things fall. And then you have Syria and the expansion of badness. And I mean, these things have consequences and we need to look back at them out from outside of our American lens of terribleness of our own behavior and really look at the other pieces that sort of float around these edges and this time period where we've sort of stepped back and not great countries like Russia and China have stepped up into that void to shape the system that's going to emerge in the coming decades. Um, and we need to be there. And I think Biden gets that, but I think Americans need to get that. And we need to get, we need better leadership that will convince Americans of that in the way that Donald Trump convinced people that this is a disaster for us. So important. That Professor Molly McHugh. Like, <laughs> no, really. I mean it, man. That was, that was what, that's the good stuff. I'm angry. I'm angry. That, that's, what people, that's what people need to hear right now, especially, right? Because I've been, I've been angry about the fact that foreign policy basically hasn't registered on this entire discussion for the last four years. And, and in my view, the stakes are always highest when it comes to foreign policy. If you don't believe me, think about nukes. Absolutely. 
right? Like, like this is a potentially a lame duck president that could have access to newts who may be emotionally unstable, who might be on fucking steroids. I mean, this guy, you know, is in a very, very powerful position. And the, the power is what I think is lost on people because they don't feel it because it feels far away. Their kids might not be in Afghanistan. They might not have traveled overseas or they might have just forgotten about it because grandma's got coronavirus, right? So bringing it back home is what needs to happen right now. And I hope that Joe Biden will do that. In the meantime, you have done it. So let me ask you to take it back home one step further. Sure. Right? Uh, they say all politics is local. And, and what we need to do is bring this foreign policy and cyber attack malware discussion back to human beings watching and listening. So you posted a great piece last week about uh, basically reading before you retweet. Don't help the enemies. Don't p- pass on misinformation. Don't do what Trump does on some level when he retweets, you know, QAnon shit. But, but can you, for folks who are listening who say, what can I do? I want to be a citizen to help uh, you know, stop the Russians from attacking and disrupting America and taking down our healthcare grid and sowing discord in America. What what can people listening now do in their sphere of influence, Molly? So if you don't want to do anything else and you think it's too complicated to learn more, just don't do anything on social media and you'll be helping, right? You can read stuff, but don't touch any of it. Um, and that will help. I think, uh, you know, there's still this, uh, you know, everybody believes the, the stupid of the other side is more stupid than they're stupid, but there's plenty of stupid on all sides uh, on social media and the internet that targets all of us. And I think in the post 2016 environment in particular, there's been so much focus because it's so overt and the president constantly promotes it. And it's like the flags are all over. There's been so much focus on the disinformation conspiracies and nonsense that have come from sort of right wing media right-wing personalities on social media, the way that they have used social media to sort of assemble these things together uh, and really mindfuck people, um, that we've not talked enough about the fact that this is very much also something that targets everyone else, including the left. Um, And, you know, before uh, before there was this embrace of, of how to target conservatives, uh, the Kremlin had a much better read on how to infiltrate and target progressives and left-wing groups for a long time. I mean, this was always their soft target was like these haters of America as they would call them. But um, the sort of fringe groups that are really on the outside, they're anti-system, whatever they are. And, you know, in the U S this is very much a left, right, right, left uh, thing, right? You have anti-government groups like where I grew up in Idaho, where Northern Idaho doesn't really want the government to exist. Um, so you, you have these sort of right-wing groups that have always been a part of this mindset, but you also have left-wing, left-wing groups that think exactly the same thing. Um, there shouldn't be government, that like we should all be a happy utopian you know, camp or something. And um, that is a totally exploitable mindset. So I think any, what, what targets these, um, what targets all of us, uh, no matter what is going on. And look, we've all, all of us, this lady included, um, fallen for an amplified, disruptive, crazy disinformation or malign information on social media, um, what targets all of us is that emotion. It's that raw emotion of either fear or outrage or anger. Um, So you just like hit the button real quick um, without understanding the key things, which is always, it's not always even, is this true? It's, 
what is this thing in front of me and why am I looking at it right now? It's like, what is the purpose of this thing? And we always need to ask that question. What is the purpose of this information and what does it want me to do? Um, And if you understand that, that like the goal is just to make us all look bad or the goal is to make America look weak and divided, um, maybe you just leave it alone. And that's not to say that these things aren't true. It's not to say that some horrible episode of police violence didn't just occur. But if it's being pushed by RT, the Russian state media, maybe just leave it alone. Maybe don't retweet that, you know? And um, I, I think we just need to be more aware of how information is being used, not just to shape how we view ourselves and our nation, but um, to change our behavior. And it's worked, it's fairly effective, um, and it's, it's really influencing all of us. And I think there's no greater proof to that than the current election results that we see in the presidential election, where in counties that Donald Trump won, he's expanded his majority uh, that he won in 2016. He's really expanded his majority for the most part in 2020. Uh, and and that is that number seems to be the greatest in counties where the most people have died of COVID, which is like, and but it's the same on the other side where Democratic counties have become more Democratic because we're all just siloing further and further apart, and we have totally separate realities of information. My one of my oldest friends, who is uh, you know really one of the people I've known the longest since I've been a grown up. Um, he was a dear friend who I adore. And he's one of those people that if like shit hit the fan and I needed something, he would do it no matter what. Um, but he's a Marine. Uh, he's a, a, a really great person, but he is 100% down the rabbit hole of Trumpism. And like purposefully baits me a lot of the time with, with stupid text messages, I think. But it's like, you know, the other day it was like, hey, has anybody debunked this? theory, the conspiracy theory that bin Laden's not dead and is living in Iran and Obama made a deal with the Iranians to like hide bin Laden in Iran and then killed all these seals to like hide that he didn't kill bin Laden. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do not fucking ask me that question. He was like, why are you mad? I'm just asking a question. And it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know? but, you're spreading, you're spreading the virus. You're spreading, you're, you're doing, you're doing the enemy's work for them. You're, you're spreading yeah. The, the misinformation and using the coronavirus, I think, as an analogy is, is really powerful right now, right? Like, if you don't know what you're sharing, you may be sharing something damaging, right? Whether even if it's in a text, right? And, and that's, that's such a powerful point that people need to consider. And controlling your emotion is, is so hard right now. And it's hardest of all for, for our president. And I think the, the way you framed it, Molly, is, is so important. I've been trying to teach my kids, my kids, and one of the things we do that's an exercise is I don't like commercials. I feel like commercials are misinformation. They're programming you. And when we're watching live sports or news, commercials yeah. will come on. And I do a thing with my son where I say, okay, Rye, what are they selling you? And he'll say phones or he'll say cars or he'll say, you know, a beach. And no, it's not a beach. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's Viagra, right? It's like, but, but watching, him go through this, watching him go through this thought process, right? I mean, the, the pharmaceutical ads are the craziest ones, right? They're the craziest look, ads. Look at it through the eyes of a five-year-old. But, um, but they're playing on, on our emotion and that control of our emotion and staying vigilant. We say a lot yeah. of the show is probably the most important thing we can do as Americans right now. But you're also... I'm so glad we had this conversation. You need your own podcast. Maybe we can talk about that afterwards. <laughs> um, but, but you also bring positivity. You're bringing light 
to the heat. And that's something else each of us can do is, is, is share information and share good voices. You're one of the voices that I wanted to share with people who don't know about you. But, but you do bring some positivity. And this show is about positivity as well. So Molly McHugh, what makes you happy? Ooh, that's hard these days. Um, you know, getting out in the world makes me happy. Uh, learning more about places that aren't here make me happy because I bring home better information and better stories and better advice uh, than you would get anywhere else. And I know we as Americans tend to think the opposite, that like we have things to teach everyone else and there's nothing for us to learn. But working these last 15 years in newly emerging, as we sometimes call them, democracies like Georgia and Estonia and Lithuania, um, but countries that have really had to think about in the immediate post-Soviet period, okay, there's nothing. How do we build a system that works effectively for democracy? They've really brought a lot of innovation to this question of the relationship between government and people um, that I think uh, we are really, really, really behind on, especially using technology as a better and more effective means of engaging the electorate. Um, and I just think there's a lot there's a lot that can be done in that space. So, uh, you know, what makes me happy is not having to sit in this box in Washington, D.C. and stare at everything through screens and phones and, like, have multiple phones binging at the same time. Um, but what makes me happy is that, you know, what I've learned in all the, the places that I've worked, which, look, I've, I've worked in these places in, in bad time periods where the Kremlin is advancing, where democracy is in decline or under siege in many respects, where the good guys are losing, where the bad guys win and like wallow in their tubs of illicit cash every night, um, including in the United States. Uh, and um, But what makes me happy is that the people that you meet everywhere are this fabric of, oh, fuck no, we're not letting this win. And I think we really just need to remember that there is this this positive energy everywhere that is rooting for America. And like, we always view it as the other way. Like it's our job to like, you know, push the, the Liberians and the Estonians and the Georgians for democracy. But all those people are rooting for us because we're what they have in terms of the guarantee on their own futures uh, and the system that they believe in and the ideals and values that they believe in. Um, and if we can maybe understand that and embrace that a little bit more, then they will. Then we will all have the happy, fun stories um, that that really buoy me in dark times. Um, but I'll offer one as a things can work better because this one's really amazing. The the Georgian government under President Saakashvili. Uh, so after the Rose Revolution, one of the famed color revolutions that Tucker Carlson wants you to believe are bad, just mm. like the Kremlin does. Um, you know, that their thing was essentially, we've inherited a failed state. How do we transform it immediately to show our people that this is different and new and better? And they really embraced this um, idea of a very streamlined process of citizen interaction with government. So no more paying bribes to get your driver's license or your business license. It was like one open, transparent system to do things. And they really took it to these heights that like, we as Americans would, it's like our jaws drop when we see it. But one time I was meeting in the, the giant public service hall, which is this place where all of these transactions now happen. Uh, I met uh, when my guys were still in government, one of my guys uh, in this cafe. And I don't know why he wanted to meet in this public service hall, right? But in this very nice cafe, I was sitting and having a coffee and he comes and sits down and we're having a coffee. And this lady rolls up with a little computer tray table thing 
and sits down at the end of the table. And I'm like, what's this lady doing over here? And he's like, oh, I just need to renew my passport. So while we're sitting and having this coffee, because he's already made this appointment with the cafe people, the lady with the cafe table is like typing his information from his old passport into the computer and prints out the thing and hands it to him and he signs it. And uh, then she like, you know, has a thing and like rolls the backdrop behind his head and takes his photo like at the cafe table for his passport. And then he like, yeah, yeah, that picture's good. And then she rolls away and then the bill for his passport renewal comes on our coffee tab. And I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> I'm like the last time I had to get a passport, I had to pay some like ridiculous service to do it, you know, in an expedited way, like hundreds of dollars because it's such a fucking hassle. And so I just think there's lessons that that's we great. tend to think America can't do it this way because we've always done it this other way. And really that's just dumb. And we need to get over the sort of corrupt internal deal making that every county official has everywhere like no we can't change this because my cousin ed has run the system forever like no like we need a totally streamlined way of how government interacts with our lives at from the bottom up it is the streamlining of process of like making government something that's more efficient and effective for us and from the top down it's really this transformation of what is democracy delivering to us now? Because it's different than it was in 1920. And, and what is that role now? And I think we've seen some really innovative thinking coming primarily from the democratic side in the last campaign cycle. Um, but I think we all need to embrace that and just sort of have these radical seeming discussions about how we transform the way government works for people. Mm. On, on that note, uh, a, a new President Biden would be smart to bring you into government to help him figure this <laughs> shit out. Uh, I'm too controversial. <laughs> yeah, well, get in line. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of us that are controversial out there. And if that's a barrier to us working together, then we're really fucked. But, but right? Uh, but, but I think that, look, Molly, you are... Uh, you, you're like a superhero from Ready Player One. It's like you've got all these <laughs> elements and this mystery and this power that you're... That Do you, I get a helmet? I want a helmet. I'll get you a helmet, but uh, I'll, I'll get you a helmet. And you have the samurai sword. We got to get like Mike Shinoda to do like a superhero, like doll of you or something. But in the meantime, um, first off, you, you really, you're bringing us what we need right now. This conversation is bringing us what we need. It's the hard truth. It's, it's, the, it's the information people don't know about. It's, it's, it's an eye toward the future. Uh, and that's why I was so, so excited to have this conversation. I think it's one that's going to be durable. People can listen to this six months from now and still get a lot of so. it. Um, and I can't get you a helmet, but I do have gifts. So first off, <laughs> I've got an Angry Americans shirt uh, for you. Uh, coming My nephew away. will love that. Super comfy. I'm also rocking one. If you're watching uh, uh, yeah. our YouTube page, this is the angry shirt. Big shout out to everybody who voted wearing one of these. Got a lot of really cool photos from our listeners who were who rocking these at the polls. We got more stuff coming, but that's at angryamericans.us. And Molly, we'll get you a couple of those. And then um, you will be getting some Uncle Nearest whiskey. Uh, it's not Jameson's, but it's you your collection. This is my bottle that folks who are really paying attention will notice continues to get uh, less full. Smaller and smaller and smaller. It did do Sobertober, yeah. so for a long time it didn't move. What? But it, it's, yeah, right? That was, Don't do that. Don't I, do that. Seven weeks, I didn't touch a drop, so... Don't no. stop drinking. That's the wrong year to stop drinking. What are you thinking? I support everyone in whatever way they want to approach this. <laughs> I tried it in part because I wanted to do it, say I did it, and I did it. But I'm not posting my way. The big mug is coffee, but the small mug isn't. Ah, see? (laughs) All right. Well, 
something you can add to your coffee and whiskey. This is the Rorschach test question of our show. Uh, peeps, <gasps> I hope you could get these in the Soviet Union or <laughs> Georgia. Uh, maybe what, what people have to live on for periods of time. But uh, as is always the, the question on this show, Molly McHugh, if you had to choose one color, blue, pink, or yellow, which one would you choose and why? I would go with original yellow because they're nostalgic. And uh, I don't know if you saw, but I recently posted a, I have a pack of, because you know, they're not making special peeps this year because there's like a, a crisis of, of peepdom in, the, in these times. It's been a but, big discussion uh, in our community that's not misinformation. That's it's real. It's terrible. It really is. But last year when I was buying Halloween candy, I got a pack of the ghost peeps for Halloween for my brother-in-law because he's obsessed with peeps. And like, okay, whatever. It's his, it's his favorite thing, which I find weird, but they're good. Okay, whatever. Um, but I got them and then of course shoved them in a cabinet and totally forgot they were there and never gave them to him. And when I was cleaning out my pantry like two weeks ago, I found them and I was like, Ooh, I bet those are, but they're still soft. And I checked the date and it's like, they don't expire for another nine months. Like we're good to go. We can eat these peeps. But if you never saw, I hope it's still on the internet somewhere. There was like a peep experimentation website. Did you ever see this? No. Before, before peeps changed to the painted on eyeballs, they had like a hard eyeball and there was a whole website about how literally no substance known to man including like sulfuric acid would dissolve whatever the eyeballs were it's genius you can read it for hours and hours and just piss yourself laughing (laughs) but um, this is gonna be this is gonna quickly devolve into QAnon conspiracy uh uh, that that will be perpetuated by the gru the peeps are the rfid tag See what I mean? Don't say mm-hmm. that shit. Mm-hmm. It's not true. There's no not RFID true. tags and peeps. Right? No not peeps. true. Okay. Well, look, you have brought so much truth. You've brought so much perspective. <laughs> I've loved having you on the show. This is the Master Chief helmet. I, I will. Tr- I can't get you this one because it's the only one. It's I okay. You don't need to get me that one. But you can borrow it when you need it. Uh, you, you are a real voice of reason. You're, you're an incredible patriot and you're a global citizen. You're, you're really helping so many people around the world with your information and, and your power and your dynamism. I'm so grateful that you joined us at this important time. Thank you so much for joining me and for all that you Thank do. you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Enjoy the samurai sword, the, the ghost peeps, and uh, stay vigilant, especially <laughs> online, and stay frosty. These are crazy times and making things happen in this environment is especially difficult, so a couple thank yous that I gotta make sure I share. First off, thanks to our incredible, inspiring guest, Molly McHugh. Follow her on Twitter, she's at Molly McHugh, and go to greatpower.us and consider subscribing to Great Power. It's her newsletter on Substack that's excellent, and it'll give you information you can use. It's a guide to emerging interstate rivalries, which are less about brute force than asymmetric forms like cyber, information, and economic warfare. Great Power builds community that understands what the exercise of great power means for all of us. It explains how it targets us as a nation and as individuals, and it develops new ideas on how the free world can outpace illiberal and authoritarian competitors abroad and at home. So check out Molly McHugh and check out greatpower.us. But my thanks to her for joining us and my thanks for all of her work. And my thanks to the incredible Righteous Media team that continues to help shape our future and continues to chip in and make every single episode and every single project happen. Thanks to Mighty Mercy Rich and a belated happy birthday to Mighty Mercy Rich. Her birthday was on Halloween. Happy birthday, Mercy. 
And my thanks to creative Chris Rosenthal. He is a machine. He continues to crank out incredible creative work around everything we do at Righteous Media. He's our creative director, and he's doing incredible work. Brilliant Bill Schultz, who is the mastermind behind the audio engineering of everything we do. Thank you to Bill Schultz for making this stuff happen. And our thanks to Uncle Nearest. Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey, you've heard about it here many times. It's inspired by the best whiskey maker the world never knew, the first African-American master distiller, Nathan Nearest Green. Uncle Nearest is what I give to all of our guests. I've been enjoying a little bit more of it now that Sobertober is over. So check out UncleNearest.com. You will not be sorry. My thanks also to Eric Bowling. You may know Eric Bowling from Fox News, but I'm a guest this week on his show. It's one of the biggest conservative shows in America. And I break down the military vote, why counting ballots is key to troops deployed overseas, how much Trump loves the flag, and whether or not to expect violence and more. Eric Bowling is a huge Trump supporter. He had an exclusive interview with Trump a few weeks ago. We don't agree on much, and it gets spicy. So check your local listings. They're often local Fox affiliates, but the show airs on Sinclair sites and stations around the country. You can also find it online. Look, I'll go on any show any place, any time, except for RTTV, to share the four eyes and to take on the bullshit and hopefully add light to contrast to heat. And we'll have some more media hits over the next few days and weeks, and especially on and around Veterans Day, which is coming up on 11-11. That's a week after Election Day. And I will be going live on my Instagram page. So if you don't follow me on Instagram, go ahead and join us. We'll occasionally have a cocktail, break down the latest election results and whatever's happening in the news. We do it last minute sometimes, but thank you to all of you who've been tuning in. Be sure to follow me and Angry Americans on Instagram and all the other social medias that you haven't unsubscribed to after listening to Molly McHugh. And thanks to our vigilant Patreon members. And I want to send a big thanks especially to Leslie Berger, who joined recently. She joined The Vigilant. We have three levels on Patreon. The Vigilant, The Very Vigilant, and The Most Vigilant. And The Vigilant is only five bucks a month. So please check it out and consider joining us. Just five bucks a month, and you can help us keep this kind of important independent content coming. But my thanks to Leslie and all of our other Patreon members. And my thanks to everyone who played guest to guest on social media. That continues to be very fun. And I want to thank our friend Delfino Sanchez in Texas. You may remember Delfino Sanchez. I've talked about him before. He guessed Michelle Flournoy. As our guest this week, it was not Michelle Flournoy, but I will tell you to watch for her. She could be a likely Secretary of Defense under a Biden administration. And Delfino was nice enough to shout out the fact that the Righteous YouTube channel now has over a thousand subscribers. He wants to help us get to 1,500 by Christmas. So check us out on YouTube. And my thanks to Delfino. I love this guy. He runs Aldine Tree Services in Houston, Texas. So, folks, if you're in Texas, support this awesome locally owned family business in Texas. If you need tree work, Delfino and Nelly and the team have you covered. You can find them online at aldinetreeservices.com. That's A-L-D-I-N. But thanks to my friend Delfino and everyone else who shouted us out on social media. I always want to hear from you. So tweet, post on our social. You can even call. And you know what will happen. I'll make you famous. As always, thanks to my wife, to my family, to my two boys. I had a conversation with my oldest son this week about integrity. And when I had to explain to him what integrity was all about, we have a great teaching moment with Donald Trump. I explained to him that integrity involved doing the right thing even when nobody's looking. And that includes not cheating and not cheating on things like elections. But I explained to him what an election was. I explained to him what integrity was, and he is learning and watching 
And he joined me in the voting booth, which was one of the most exceptional experiences of my life. To have my son walk into the voting booth with me and cast a ballot was really, really an emotional thing. So my thanks to him and my thanks to all of you who voted and wore your Angry Americans gear and posted on social and got out and voted and supported voting booths and volunteered in other ways. And to all of you that continue to retweet, subscribe, and support this show, keep the feedback coming. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. And go to angryamericans.us. You can see all the video. We've got some great video there. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can get the gear, like the angry shirt that I wore in this episode with Molly McHugh. And you can check out our YouTube page. Do it. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. As the chaos and mayhem continue, we will continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome. So stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. And we will keep this movement of independent, righteous Americans growing week by week. There's plenty of reason to be angry, but there's also a way to turn it. And there's a way to channel it, a way to harness it, and a way to make an impact. And now more than ever, you can turn that anger into positive impact. And now more than ever, you can be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. In every show, I suggest a way to convert your righteous, understandable anger into positive action. Positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. Actions that channel your energy, make you feel good, and make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes of integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. Come with me And you'll be In a world of your imagination Now I've told you the future is here And I have an update and an apology Last week I told you about a new project I'm working on That was scheduled to drop on election day It did not drop on election day But I have an update for you and I have a sneak preview If this time isn't scary enough, Righteous Media and I are proud to be a part of a powerful new documentary series with Ephraim Films coming on November 16th at 10 p.m. on Vice TV. I'm a creative consultant. I'm also featured in it with some amazing voices that you've heard before on this show, including Malcolm Nance and others like Jay Johnson, Richard Clark, and the incredible Jeffrey Wright narrates. And here's a sneak preview of While the Rest of Us Die. Secrets of America's Shadow Government. Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election? Get rid of the ballots. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. Donald Trump is unprecedented in American history. No other sitting president has said he might refuse to leave if he loses. But these terrifying statements merely expose a 70-year-old system that has empowered the office of the presidency way beyond what most people realize. So there is this period of three months during which a president who has been defeated or whose second term has expired or is about to expire, nonetheless is in charge of the military. Let's imagine a scenario where a president loses his bid for re-election and then loses his mind, in part because of the defeat, in part because of some previously existing mental problem. 
he loses control. If a president rolled out of bed on the one day and wanted to end the world and called in the code, and there was no war going on, our hope would be that the military officers receiving the go codes might ask for higher authority or simply say, no, Mr. President, that is not a legal order. But technically, they don't have to. If the president says go, they're supposed to go. Scary, right? But it's real. It's a very real possible future, and it's also our reality. For months after the election, a defeated president stays in office, and he's known as a lame duck. But an outgoing president still possesses all the powers of the office. He still has the power to execute the Presidential Emergency Action Documents, the PEDS, classified and never revealed to the public, executive orders, proclamations, and messages to Congress. These PEDs are drafted by each president, conferring concurrently unknown powers in times of emergency, an emergency the lame duck president can declare. The existence of these PEDs is just one of many secret plans of America's shadow government, one whose primary mission is to make sure it survives, even while the rest of us die. So while the rest of us die, Secrets of America's Shadow Government is the new series that I'm a part of premiering Monday, November 16th, 10 p.m. on Vice TV. You will hear more about it. But my action is share the link to the trailer. You can find it on the Vice TV YouTube page or on my social or at angryamericans.us. It's information to empower you and others. It's also Jeffrey Wright, and he's amazing. You know that especially if you heard him with me on episode 54 of this show. And if you heard that episode, you know Jeffrey is angry, like so many of us. But he's also turning that anger into positive impact. Jeffrey often plays characters from the future. And Molly McHugh is like a hero character from the future. They're both like heroes from the future. And the future's here. Ready Player One is maybe my favorite book of all time. It's heroic, it's inspiring. In 2045, people seek to escape from reality through the virtual reality entertainment universe called the Oasis. It's about how courage can change history. Steven Spielberg did a movie about it. I didn't love the movie, but I love the book. It's also about video games and Van Halen. It's about post-apocalyptic life in a swing state and set in Columbus, Ohio in 2045. But it's also about heroes who step up to change the world in the hardest of times. Ready Player One is about teamwork and about leadership and about love. All the things we need now more than ever. So if you never have before, read Ready Player One. And remember, it's okay to be angry, especially now. And know you're not alone. We're all a little angry. And that's because we're paying attention especially now. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Do whatever you can to increase the peace. And always stay frosty. And stay vigilant, America. Stay vigilant.